0: Think of the worst relative or friend that you know that is just, you know, their life is on a a trail that is headed to hell, we could say. But they're on a course that's leading to destruction. And if Christ doesn't get a hold of their life, they're in major trouble already. But they're going to be in an eternal trouble in the future. And you know that. And perhaps you weren't as bad. Perhaps you were. But it doesn't matter. We were without Christ. So whether the worst sinner on this earth or the best sinner on this earth we're still in sin and we're still without Christ. And we are a people who are in need of a savior.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well,
0: we are in Ephesians chapter 2 and looking at verses 11 through 22. And titling a message, sometimes you look through, you read through the passage, and you know, we don't assign Passages here as far as Calvary Costa Mesa sending out information saying, guys, this is where you need to be on this particular day. What the Calvary chapels are known for doing is teaching through the Bible, and no matter how fast or how slow, and I'm on the slow side of that. I've taught from Ephesians before, I'm repeating it. It's been several years. I can't even remember the last time I taught from it. But you look through a passage. And you want to determine some central theme that we can pull the whole message off of. And there are many, there were two especially that popped out to me as I was looking over this passage. The first one's found in verse 14, where it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. And so that line, he is our peace, is um, a possible title that I was thinking about titling the message and, yeah, there's a song, if I would have been a good worship leader, I could have uh, had us do the song, He is our peace who has broken down every wall. But I didn't know where the music was, so I didn't even bother looking for it. So it was just another battle that I can't even remember how songs go. Don't try to throw me a curve. But then I was reading through and kept going through it. And I came back to, I almost named it, He is our peace. I came to verse 20 where it says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, I am a brick mason by trade. I haven't laid brick in years for pay at least. I've done a few things in between, but it's not my job. It's not my business, but I am a brick mason. So I thought I have to go with this, the chief cornerstone, because as I looked through it, I was able to just quickly lay out the whole passage from verses 11 through 22 and verses 11 through 15a i titled that section that jesus is a demolition man a demo man this builder mind here verse 15b through 18 that jesus is a builder and verses 19 through 22 that jesus is a stone also again that verse 20 if i was a good worship leader we would have been singing today I lay in Zion, a pure foundation of stone. I did try to find that, but I couldn't find lyrics. Or I found the lyrics, but without the music, we didn't go there. So, Jesus, a demolition man. You know, a lot of times when we build, it's true whenever you build. It's not a lot of times. It's true, you know, you're either going into a place that's already been built, but you're going to do an addition or you're going to do a remodel, there's often a teardown that's necessary. But even if you're building a brand-new structure, you just don't start building on top of the ground. You know, you have to dig down and do a foundation. They're building a office building over in Lakeville, Lindenhurst, over by the Vista Hospital stuff there. It's not a true hospital. They won't let them build a true hospital there, so they're building everything they can but the hospital, I guess. They have uh, outpatient services. They have an emergency room now, and now they're building office buildings over there. But the first time I noticed that something was going on is that they cleared all the trees, and there was a lot of rich oak and hickory trees on that property. And it's like it's sad to see them go down, but you can't build unless you destroy first. And a lot of times to recreate... To build a building or whatever you're making, you have to destroy, you have to do some demolition. And the Lord has to do that for each of us. And so, in this first section, as Jesus is a demolition man, we'll get to that later on in the section. But Paul begins by wanting us to remember, he's wanting us to not forget our past condition. In verses 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul wants us, he calls us to remember our past condition. So often we forget that we were, and we don't use this term Gentiles in the flesh, but it's a term that simply means that we were not part of the covenant people of God, as the Jews were. And from the Jewish perspective, everyone who was not Jewish were Gentiles, just like from the Grecian perspective, everyone who was not Grecian were barbarians, and they talked babble to them. And so we we have that same mindset, even in our country today, you know, it's it's a mixed breed of people, but you're either American or you're not. And, Paul wanted us and he wants us to remember our past conditions. So often we tend to forget when dealing with friends and family members that we used to be Gentiles in the flesh. We used to be without Christ. That They were Gentiles in the flesh in the sense that they were their own work. And there's a lot of people today that, you know, guys will say, oh, my own man. You know, he's kind of, this is me, and i have kind of a self-created man. No, God had a lot to do with who you are. You had nothing to do with your birth. But what you have developed as in the world, perhaps you can claim a lot of that, but so often it's just a work of the flesh. It's the work of our own thoughts and our own mind, and they're corrupt, and they're well, they're messed up. And if given a free reign, we will not only destroy ourselves, but we at times could destroy others in the process. You know, it's a contrast compared to last week in verses 8 through 10, we learned that we are his workmanship, having been saved by grace through faith, that our salvation is not of ourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's a contrast from... We are his workmanship too. Now in verse 11 that um, we are Gentiles in the flesh, a work of our own hands. And, and he goes on to speak about this work of those to remember that you were once without Christ. So therefore, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision by those who are called circumcision, made with the hands that you were at that time without christ that we are called uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision but the circumcision is the work of their own hands and we need to come to that place to where we are work of god's hand that we are his workmanship you know better to be circumcised with a circumcision made without hands as paul wrote in colossians two eleven, where he says In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That we need that circumcision made without hands. But also that we were one time without Christ. I think we forget that when dealing with friends and family. That we were once like them. Okay, perhaps you weren't as bad as... Think of the worst relative or friend that you know that is just... You know, their life is on a... A trail that is headed to hell, we could say. But they're at a course that's leading to destruction. And if Christ doesn't get a hold of their life, they're in major trouble already. But they're going to be in an eternal trouble in the future. And you know that. And perhaps you weren't as bad. Perhaps you were. But it doesn't matter. We were without Christ. So whether the worst sinner on this earth or the best sinner on this earth, we're still in sin and we're still without Christ. And we are a people who are in need of a Savior. So we must never forget that we were as troubled and as messed up as our friends and family members that we know are today. And so often I think we forget that when ministering, when dealing with them. We were like Belshazzar in the Old Testament when the king saw the handwriting on the wall and Daniel came to explain what God meant by that. At one point he said, that you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And God basically saying, I put your life on the scales. And compared to my son, you've been found wanting. Jesus outweighs us all the time. Now, that's true for all of us, isn't it? We're not going to stand up to the perfect man, Jesus Christ. We will all be found wanting when weighed in the balances of God. But it's when we put on Christ that the scales tip our way, that we have put on Christ in our own lives. Not only must we remember that we were once without Christ, we also need to remember that we were once aliens. Now, when Paul uses the word aliens, he's not speaking about someone from Mars or Venus. When he speaks about aliens, he's referring to someone being a stranger or a foreigner in the land. And he directly relates this to the commonwealth of Israel. So They were Gentiles in the flesh. They were aliens. They didn't belong with the commonwealth of Israel, with the people of Israel. They were distinctly different, and they knew it, and the Jews also knew it. When we were in southern Sudan, I'm so happy that Bob is going to come and share with us in a few weeks about his two-year stay there in Africa. His wife, Susanna, they are leaving tomorrow. But I'm so glad that he's coming to share, and, and not to talk about anything that we did when we were there, but the work that God's doing in his life. This man has not been a believer. I don't think he's been a believer for 10 years. And after his furlough here, two years in Africa already. After his furlough, he's going back to the southern end of Africa to begin a far-reaching ministries at Calvary Chapel down there. God has just put a desire upon this man's heart and his wife Susanna to go to Africa and, and to live there. It, it's so different that we're aliens when we're there. They took us around town one day just to... This, here's how different it is. He said, that we have you know, the electric bill, the utilities and stuff. He goes, sometimes we don't even get a bill in the mail. We just have to go to the place and pay the bill. And we might do that every two or three months. And he goes, usually when we go to pay the bills, we go and it can take all day just to pay one utility bill and that takes up your whole day. I'm going to pay my electric bill, okay. And you come back six hours later and you've accomplished paying your electric bill. So different. But when we went into Southern Sudan, me and Bob flew in ahead of the other group and then uh, the rest of the guys showed up on Thursday. We came in on Tuesday. But the moment we got off the plane in Southern Sudan, it was evident that we were aliens. For most of the group who came from the United States, it was February, it was the middle of winter. And the Sudanese people are the darkest Africans, I believe, on the continent. So their skin is just deep, dark. And me, I was as white as I possibly could be. I was an alien, and they knew it. I knew it, no question about it. I'll never forget the children. And when we would drive somewhere in the back of a pickup truck, standing up and, you know, kind of doing the the out-in-the-bush thing, and we did the the out-in-the-bush thing, but usually uh, before you got to the bush... You would come by these uh, compounds where people had their tukuls or huts, and the children would see the kawajis, and they'd run out yelling, kawajis, kawajis, and, and white people, white people, you know? <laughs> and we were different, and they knew it. And I even asked, one time I was sitting next to Michael, who was assistant pastor on the compound, and I said, Michael, do you remember seeing your first white person? At first, he kind of looked at me like, well, that's an odd question. And then he said, yes, I do. And uh, he told me the age he was. And I, I figured we were such aliens that for some of these children, they were seeing a white person for the very first time. And that we're aliens, meaning that we are not part of the commonwealth of Israel. We have no connection with them. In Ephesians 4, later on in verse 18, he's saying as Gentiles that we walked in the flesh, that we had in the futility of our minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We were once alienated. We were once enemies separated from God. And Paul wants us to recall that and to remember that. We were also once strangers. In contrast to the uh, people of Israel and their covenant relationship with God, Gentiles, they were strangers. He tells us here that we were strangers... From the covenants of promises, that we had no connection to God's word in our life. So it's not just being foreigners from the Commonwealth of Israel, no connection with the people, but now we had no connection with God's word in our lives. And that used to describe us. As Gentiles in the flesh, we were uncircumcised, aliens, strangers who were once without Christ. Once without God, without hope, which describes the condition of many people in our world today. And hopefully, it does not describe the condition that you're in here today. But our current status in Christ, picking up in verse 13, he says, "...but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace." has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. And so this verse 15, having abolished, is why I called this section Jesus our demolition man, because he has abolished, he has broken down the wall of separation. And this wall, well, there's, There's two walls of separation, and we'll we'll get to those in a moment. But before he broke down the wall of separation, we've first been, we discovered in verse 13, that we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were once Gentiles in the flesh. We were once far away from the commonwealth and the covenants of God, the commonwealth of Israel. We had no hope, no relationship. We were without hope and without God. But we have been now brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that precious blood. We must never forget that. And today, a lot of the world is trying to say that we need to forget about the blood. That it's not the blood that brings redemption. The world is telling us one thing. But the Word of God tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so whose blood has to be shed? Well, it's either going to be yours or it's Jesus's. Now, you can try what Israel used to do and offer sacrifices of lambs, of goats, of bulls, but they never lasted because we are sinful. And though they may have been cleansed for a season, they would once again fall into sin and be separated or out of fellowship with God. And they'd have to start the process all over again. Jesus Christ came to supersede all of that through giving his life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that we were brought near by the blood of Christ, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In heaven one day, John tells us that they sing a new song, but we'll get to sing this one day. In heaven, in Revelation 5.9, we'll sing the same word saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, And you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, if you want to write some words to this, you can sing it today. But it is Jesus Christ who is worthy. It is because of his blood that we have been redeemed and that we have been brought near. That we have attained peace. We who are far off, not only have we been brought near by the blood of Christ, but we have attained peace. For he himself, verse 14, is our peace. There's a lot of different types of peace in the world today. I was looking around. I just wrote that, different types of peace. I googled that and see what I could come up with and uh, came up with some pretty crazy things. But there is a tribe down in South America that has listed out seven different types of peace. And I was going to cut and paste those in here, but I, I disagree with some of their Types of peace, because two of the things is that we need to have peace with the gods. Gods, plural. And so we know right away that they're tainted because they worship many gods. And then their last thing, the most important, if it's a, a list of uh, least important to most important, and that's what it seemed to be. Lastly, we need to have peace with Mother Earth because she provides for us. So peace with the gods, but peace with Mother Earth, our provider, and it's like, forget that list. I didn't even put it in here. But I thought of some things. You guys could probably think of a few things too. But having peace with family and friends can be a blessing sometimes. All the time, right? Uh, peace from racial tensions or peace from war or peace among the nations in the world. There's a lot of different types of peace on this earth. But they're for the most part, they're attainable by the works of our hands. We can be peacemakers... If we would be willing to sit down together, uh, Albert Einstein, talking about peace in the world, he says, peace is not merely the absence of war, but the presence of justice, of law, of order, in short, of government. Now, I don't, I know we don't like big brother, we don't like government, but uh, even Paul said that they are there as ministers of God to punish evil and to... Um, if you're do good, you should have no problem with the government. That's not always true, but that's how it should work out. But the peace that Paul is talking about here is that, well, we can see it in two different ways, that we have peace with man and peace with God. We can have peace with our brothers and sisters. We can have all those things of peace of family and friends, from racial tension, from wars, from peace among the nations in the world, but also there is necessary to have peace with god and we could obtain everything worldly as far as peace is concerned and not have peace with god we're still in trouble because the worldly peace isn't going to mean anything when we get to heaven unless you have peace with god you will not get to heaven in john 16:33 jesus one of the things that he has promised he's praying and talking with his disciples before he goes to the cross there. And he says to them in John 16:33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the peace that we need and the peace that is obtainable is through Christ. For he himself is our peace. Romans 5, 1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we gain this peace with God. Apart from Christ, there is no peace, for he himself is our peace. Now, we who were once afar off, we have been made one. And so the work of Christ in this one, it can be taken in two ways also. There's One, taking two people and making them one, the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, making them one part of the family of God. But also, the other side of that is making us one with God. And both are applicable in our relationship with Christ. That we are made one, two people made one by the blood of Jesus Christ. John 10.16, Jesus refers to, Talking to his disciples, he tells his disciples, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. They're not Jewish. They're not of this fold, but I have them. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I wish the church would hear the words of Jesus, his desire for unity. And so often, a lot of the problems that we have in the world have come because of the problems that we've had in churches. This unity, we have been warring, we have been fighting, but Christ said they will have one flock and they will be one shepherd. Together, one in the body of Christ, but also one with the Godhead, that we become one with God. We're in unity, it's that communion that we are in fellowship, in union with. In John 17, 21 and 22, and in that prayer, he prays this, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, that they may be one in us, he says, that we have this communion, this fellowship, Lord, may it be that we would continually build our lives upon this, this firm foundation that has been laid for us and that we would align ourselves with Christ each and every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.